0: I'm Amanda Olberg, Managing Editor of Education Next. We invite you to join this week's Education Next podcast, available online Wednesday morning each week at educationnext.org. Congress is set to vote this month on the Every Student Succeeds Act, a bill to revise the federal law known as No Child Left Behind. Members of Congress are still rushing to learn just what has been included in the 1,000-page compromise hashed out by House and Senate negotiators, but one thing that is clear already is that the bill would sharply reduce federal involvement in such matters as school accountability, teacher evaluation, and school turnaround efforts, all of which have been central components of federal education policy over the past eight years. According to Education Next editor Rick Hess, the bill amounts to nothing less than a massive bipartisan repudiation of the Obama-Duncan legacy. So what exactly is the Obama-Duncan legacy, and how is that legacy likely to change if the Every Student Succeeds Act becomes law? That's our topic on this week's EdNext podcast. I'm Marty West, executive editor of Education Next, and I'm joined today by William Howe, a professor at the University of Chicago and the author of The Results of President Obama's Race to the Top, an article in the winter 2015 issue of the Journal. William, thanks for joining us today. Thanks for having me here. So uh, tell us a little bit about this research and what you were looking at and what we can learn from it about Obama and Duncan and their impact on K-12 education.
1: Sure. So we were interested in thinking about the effect of a set of initiatives that Obama launched to try to remake the educational landscape um, years after Congress was supposed to have reauthorized No Child Left Behind. Right? There's no action going on um, long after it was supposed to have been reauthorized in 07, 08. Um, Obama steps in with Race to the Top and then a set of waivers initiatives and tries to remake the educational landscape across the various states, and we were interested in trying to make sense of whether or not those initiatives had an impact on what policy looks like.
0: So what impact did they have? I mean... It was a
1: huge impact, Um, and I think we can trace the impact um, to the initiatives themselves. What you see in the um, post-2009, which is when Race to the Top was first introduced... Is a major uptick in the adoption rates of policies that are associated with the Race to the Top initiative um, across the various states. So there's a there's a roughly three four percentage uh, on average of of policies on average in the Race to the Top initiative domain had been enacted pre-race to the top. In the aftermath, it jumps up and gets into the 60%, 70% range.
0: So these are things like college and career-ready standards, statewide teacher evaluation systems that incorporate student test scores. Uh, the development of de-
1: data systems. School turnaround
0: students. efforts. And and exactly. so you're looking at which states actually have these policies in place, and there's a big uptick after race to the top.
1: Exactly. And you see that the effects are largest among those states that actually won. Um, and so, but that but they're not... Unique to those states, you see states also that 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 applied but who did that didn't win, um, showing market increases in their adoption rates as well. And so, part of what we're trying to then think about in this this research is to try to tease out the independent effect of the initiative and how through money and by increasing the salience of these policies state governments saw fit to adopt them in the aftermath of Race to the Top when they hadn't before.
0: And so no matter how you look at it, it looks like Race to the Top had a big impact, this competitive grant program that was really the centerpiece of the Obama administration's first administration uh, or policy during this first term in office. Of course, when we go to the second term, uh, we have a different and equally innovative way of trying to influence state decision-making with the ESEA flexibility program, offering states waivers from No Child Left Behind, uh, on the condition that they uh, adopt a set of policies, again very similar to much of what was uh, pushed in Race to the Top, uh, but more narrowly focused on teacher evaluation systems, higher standards, school turnaround efforts, uh, and and data systems. Uh, what do we know, if anything, yet about sort of the impact of those? that strategy.
1: Well, I think that you're right, that it's a follow-on effort by the Obama administration to get leverage over state governments that are constitutional authority into themselves to figure out what kind of policies they want to adopt or not in the realm of education. So the money runs out under Race to the Top, and there's not a lot more money coming. He spends the money that's available to him, um, but he wants to see states continuing to adopt these policies and to follow through on the policies that had already been adopted, right? So to not scale back the implementation of it and not retract previous policy gains. Um, and so the way the Obama administration does this is by offering selective and conditional waivers to no child left behind.
0: And this broadens the number of states that are directly uh influenced, you know, race to the top only how many states ended up getting grants? It's uh,
1: less than fifteen. Less than you're, fifteen. You're
0: exactly right.
1: But but there are other states that are implicated insofar as they were applying for the programs that they're put on, um, uh, which then raises the salience of these policies within states. And as part of their efforts across the various competitions to increase their competitiveness, a number of states that adopt policies with the hopes that Though they lost in the first round, they might win in the second round.
0: But unlike the grant winners, those states are under no obligation then to sort of be in a compliance relationship with the federal government to say we're complying with our agreement in this way. Exactly. Uh, And that's what you get under the waivers, where you have more than 45 states with these waivers that are detailed contracts, really, with the uh, Department of Education that specify exactly what they're going to do. Worked out one state at a time. And, you know, some have characterized this as a reauthorization of No Child Left Behind from the executive branch. Is that a sort of fair characterization? It, in your I think mind? that
1: it is. Um, when all presidents have incentives to innovate and to look for new sources of powers, and Obama, if I were to identify the singular way in which Obama sets himself apart from his predecessors, is in this particular policy domain. He's taking on the signature domestic policy achievement of his predecessor, and not just offering waivers to it, but then reconstituting what that law looks like in practice by putting demands outside of the law upon states if they want to get these conditional waivers.
0: And some have argued that this exceeded his constitutional authority. Is What do you, as a presidency scholar, make of that line of critique? So,
1: well, as a presidency scholar, I'm pretty agnostic on whether or not it, it aligns or not with his constitutional authority. I do think, though, that it is a, a clear innovation by... The Obama administration. The way we usually think about presidents trying to affect policy change is that they're constrained by existing statute, they have to work around existing statutes, that those represent um, limits on their ability to reshape policy. What you have Obama doing in this particular domain is not taking existing statute as a fixed quantity that he has to work around, but actually reconstituting it outside of Congress. Now he's doing it, not unilaterally, by just issuing, say, an executive order that would trump no child left behind. He can't do that, but he's he's doing it in direct consultation with each of the 50 states, which has, in practice, that effect.
0: So let's jump forward to the present day into this legislation that Congress is considering right now. I started off by saying that uh, you know this has been characterized as a repudiation of the Obama-Duncan legacy, and I think what people have in mind when they say that is uh, both that none of the changes that Obama and Duncan pushed through Race to the Top and the waivers actually end up being codified in the new version of the Elementary and Secondary Education Act. Uh, And in addition to that, there appear to be very uh, stringent regulations or restrictions on the Secretary of Education's authority to use regulatory powers in these innovative ways going forward. Uh, So, you know, ironically, uh, future Secretaries of Education may be much more limited as a result of the innovations that Duncan and it may uh, well be the the the, the the
1: the discretion that the Obama administration has enjoyed may not be enjoyed by by his successors that's true in the interim state governments have adopted lots of these policies they're in law in lots and lots of states and so while the federal government may not be reshaping what those policies look like at the federal level, they've already locked in a lot of what their policy objectives were at the state level.
0: Of course, anything that a state adopted can now be rolled back. That's right. Uh, and so a lot of their ultimate legacy, I guess, hinges on what decisions are made at the state level going
1: forward. Exactly. So if we're going to look for a repudiation of the Obama administration, we need to look for a lot more than just what happens in Congress in this coming week. Mm-hmm. Um, and it also is worth noting that right, what this is a repudiation of is, is somewhat unclear. It's a domestic policy achievement enacted by a Republican president originally Bush that then is adapted... This being no child left behind exactly then is a that is altered and adapted by the Obama administration in consultation with 50 different states through race to the top and these waiver provisions and so lots of people's fingerprints are on the existing status quo um, it's at a status quo that has attracted a fair amount of ire by the existing Congress. Um, they're pushing back. Um, but again, who it's a repudiation of is, 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 is less clear.
0: Yeah, and I guess another way in which their legacy hinges on decisions of the states going forward is that the other big feature of this reauthorization is that it uh, sort of uh, returns to states a lot of control over the design of their state accountability systems, and so the decisions that those states make, and really that, that return of control is in some part also a response to the, uh, I guess, backlash against the heavy-handed, federal, the arm, heavy-handed arm of the federal, federal government. government.
1: I think that that's, that's right. Now, it's worth, though, noting that Race to the Top has this big effect on the willingness of states to adopt policies. What does that it have going for? It has a few billion dollars to dole out to the various states, which constitutes a small fraction of the education budgets across the states, and um, uh, a hot spotlight of attention on a set of policies that were not new. They've been around for a long time, and states hadn't seen fit to adopt them. And so it is true that greater authority is being given back to states, um, and they may enjoy a greater measure of discretion than they had before, and yet... Between 2009 and 2013, they nonetheless saw fit with just a little bit of money and some attention being shined on these policies. They saw fit to, you know start marching according to obama's drum
0: but congress certainly seems to have lost its enthusiasm if it was ever there for a heavy reliance on competitive grant programs you see calls from both parties to you know put more into the formula programs uh you see very few pre-existing competitive grant programs included in the new legislation so there are a few exceptions i was glad to see a successor program to the investing and innovation fund for example uh the teacher incentive fund is going to still exist there still be charter school grants but Really, there's uh, not a lot of appetite in Congress for continued use of competitive grants. Is that sort of a, a response to the backlash against Race to the Top, or, or, or is there something about competitive grants that Congress uh, doesn't like?
1: Well, competitive grants have been around for a long time, and how we structure them has changed a fair amount over time. And I think what, one of the distinctive features of what Obama was doing, as opposed to the competitive grants, say, of the 60s and 70s, where there was money offered, that was put on the table, that states then were left uh, a fair amount of discretion to design policies that were meant to resolve some problems, say urban poverty, right? But they could do so on their terms as they saw fit, and the, 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 the prescriptive element from the federal government was just saying, well, you've got to do something about urban poverty. Mm-hmm. What we see under Race to the Top is a detailed accounting of the very specific policies that the Obama administration wanted to see adopted at the state levels. Now, those both are competitive grants, right? But they're, but they're characterized in very different ways. And I think, so when we talk about the heavy-handed arm of the federal government, it has less to do with the competitive grant per se, but just the prescriptive um, elements of, of what we've seen under Race to the Top. But isn't
0: it the case that members of Congress also just want control over where the funding is going? And you want to be able to claim credit and say, this is what I brought home, and with a competitive grant program, it's not clear that they can do that.
1: That's, this could be an important part of it, that the, 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 the Repub- well, the members of Congress want to get into the game of the credit-claiming game mm-hmm. of, 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 of getting money that they can say they did something for on behalf of their constituents. That could be, again, the money here was awarded not on the geographic distribution of funds under Race to the Top, but rather on the willingness of states to commit to adopting very specific policies. That's what got them the money, that then would go to an entire state. So, we'll have to see how this thing is has, reshaped to accommodate no small part, right, members of Congress re election.
0: And in it's sense. interesting how the way in which uh, the competitive grant process was used in the case of Race to the Top may have uh, tarnished, in some people's views, the concept of competitive grants more broadly uh, if they weren't comfortable with how that was done.
1: It, we'll have to see. We'll have so, to see. And I think the thing to watch, which you've been pointing to, which I think is the right thing to point to, which is how state governments, the extent to which state governments, Revisit policies that they willingly adopted under in response to race to the top, right? Whether or not they revisit them and amend them, retract them, or continue to follow through and devote money to them, we'll have and to see.
0: No policy will be easier to track, I guess, than the Common Core, uh, which I guess 46 states initially adopted uh, in part due to the incentives provided through race to the top uh, and the waiver program, which had a streamlined approval process for states that had adopted the Common Core. Uh, there's been a lot of pushback, uh, but not a lot of actual rollback of adoptions, if I uh, am following it correctly.
1: It's hard to undo laws that have been enacted. All kinds of interests build up around them. And so I think Obama getting involved in this policy domain and convincing states to adopt these policies, there's going to be a certain amount of um, stickiness to them that's going to allow them to endure in the face of rising opposition and lack of ongoing incentives, be they financial or um, being able to raise the salience of these issues uh, to ensure that they persist.
0: So, we often observe that there are a lot of biases in favor of the status quo in the American political system. The number of veto points makes it hard to change things, and so changing the status quo at the state level may be no small matter when we think about their legacy. Uh, even if a lot of what they did isn't ultimately codified in federal statute. Or
1: vigorously um, implemented. It may be that they linger, that they aren't retracted at the state level, but just not much is done about them, right? And that's that's an open question. We'll have to see how that plays out going forward.
0: So when will we know what the legacy of the Obama and Duncan administration is for K-12 education policy?
1: do wait 10, 15 years to be able to really nail it down. But I think there's an initially the... The federal government playing from a position of weakness with just a little bit of money, weighing in and jump-starting policy-making activity in ways that are really unprecedented in in domains that were not new. Again, I think this is worth recognizing that charter schools and accountability was not new in 2009, and yet states didn't see fit to adopt these policies, and they did in the aftermath of it. So um, Duncan and Obama certainly had a big impact in jump-starting these activities. The extent to which they
0: persist, we'll have to wait and see. Well, thanks, William. Uh, We'll be tracking it with you, uh, and thanks for joining us for the EdNext podcast. Thanks, Marty. Thank you for tuning in to Education Next's weekly podcast, released every Wednesday morning. For more on education reform, visit us online, educationnext.org.